Hi, this is Melissa Cohn, the president of MC Home Loans, and I'm happy to be here this afternoon with Elizabeth Ann Stribling Kivlin, who is the president of Stribling and Associates, a real estate firm that was founded by her mother, I believe, 36 years ago. Correct. And I'm so privileged to be here to talk to you today to discuss what's going on real estate, your perception of it, what you do with real estate yourself. And I must say that I'm I open disclosure that I know you're doing an amazing job because my daughter Sarah works for you and she thinks she does have the dream job. Well, I would not be doing an amazing job, I don't think, if she wasn't here with me. So it's a pleasure to work with her and I'm excited to be here to speak with you today. Thanks. You make a mother feel really great. I do what I can. Um, so let's back to you. Um, tell me about the very first piece of real estate that you bought. The first piece of real estate I bought? Hmm. Well, it's really funny when you think of your first piece of real estate. Um, in reality, I think, um, you know, when you're a little child, you're, it's amazing to think of what games you play. And the first real game you play is playing house. I probably played it at a different level because I was actually buying and selling commodities at four as opposed to just cooking dinner for my pretend girlfriend or boyfriend. Um, but the first piece of property I bought was actually um, in 2010. Um, it was a country house um, in Litchfield County in Connecticut. Um, I'd been renting the house for a couple years, and I realized I loved it up there. But the economy had turned, and I saw a really incredible opportunity in front of me. Um, I was able to buy a house about 30% less than the prior person had purchased it for. And I thought, well, this is going to be a market that takes a long time to recover, so am I looking at this as an investment or as a home? And I realized ultimately, yes, this will be a good investment. You know, we'll see where 5, 10 years takes me. But I'm willing to pay a little bit more for this because I have such incredible pleasure being there. There's a pool. My friends are around. I call it adult Disneyland. And even for someone who'd been selling real estate for so long and had been surrounded by it, I actually was overwhelmed by the process. It was stressful getting your first mortgage, you know, feeling maybe for the first time like an adult because you were finally going to be a part of the Amer real true American dream. So I bought this house. And I still have this house and I have no intention of selling it at this point. And um, it brings me, it's the best emotional commodity I can imagine. And I'm in the process of buying another apartment now in New York to live in. And that's just as exciting and fraught with great anticipation. You know, and I, your house is a beautiful house. So I really have to stand <laughs> behind that and say it was a great opportunity. Um, and it's great because real estate can be both an investment and your home at the same time. And I think that I find that an amazing commodity, so to speak, being able to buy something, knowing that you're buying it to sell perhaps in the future, but that you get to actually love it and use it in the meantime. So have you ever sold a home? I haven't. I might be a little bit of a real estate hoarder. Uh, no, I haven't. You know, it's funny. I've thought about it time to time to selling the Connecticut house. Um, and going actually to a completely different area. And I just can't bring myself to do it right now. So I have not sold my properties. I wish I had unlimited properties to hoard, but right now, <laughs> right now I'm holding on to the one I have. But it's gonna be an interesting process when I do. You know, I think as a real estate agent, we go into homes and say, here are the 15 things you need to do in order to prepare your house uh, for sale. And I, I think that we need to remember there is an emotional side to this. And I think that, you know, it's so funny to think about the impact. The first house my parents, I, I grew up in that my parents had it on the Upper East Side. I mean, to this day in my late 30s, I still dream about that house probably on you know, a monthly basis. So you know, it's 
th- just thinking about the house, you know, fills me with a little bit of thought. Can I do it? How would I emotionally feel? And I think it's important when you're in the real estate industry to be able to you know, commiserate or, you know, celebrate with your clients and customers. No, I agree that being part of your own business is you, you can share your personal experiences. So tell me, you started at Stribling a number of years ago working for your mother, and in this past year you've now taken over as president of Stribling. Three years, I'm so sorry. For me, you've been there for a lifetime, and you are it. Um, but at any rate, how do you differentiate Stribling from other real estate firms in the city? I think, first off, I have to look at our size. We're about... 315 agents. So we're sort of in the mid-size, if you will. Um, I think that we've had an exceptional heritage of 36 years, um, which not everyone has. So I think we can stand on that, stand on legs of 80 plus percent referral business from uh, clients and customers. So I think that we have that. I think we're very well known for being an incredibly ethical, honest, and transparent company. I pride myself, I think, as my mother does, on the fact that obviously as a business owner, you want to be a profitable company, but you don't want to make the profit at the expense of your, the consumer. And I would rather have agents who work for me um, that make $10 per se versus $20 because they're a broker's broker, they play well with others, and they share information. Um, I think that creates an incredible environment to work in, but also an incredible environment to show the, show the public. Um, but I think if you really, if you ask sort of the everyday buyer at Stribling what differentiates us, you know, we're, I think, bigger than a boutique, but we're, we're, we sort of operate in the sort of luxury sphere and we're very well known for the high end. But I have great competitors and I, I think they've, you know, working together has only made me stronger. Well, I say I must have to agree with you because I know a lot of your brokers and some of them have been there basically for as long as I've been in business. What's so amazing, we actually were about to, we were looking at the numbers to have a, a party the other day for, do we celebrate our brokers? And we were looking at the people who had been here between 10 and 20 years. We thought, oh, we'll have a party for them. And it was too large of a number. <laughs> so that's what's so incredible to look who's been here over 20 years. Of, my mother's founded the company with... 10 people, eight of whom's licenses we still hold. I mean, it's it's a real testament to her and and, and just the, sort of the culture she's created. No, and I think that you can set yourself aside, you know, in the fact that you your retention is just so much greater than any other firm. Do you account for it? I know that you're, you operate as a business, as a family business, and you treat your brokers as part of the real estate family. Do you also feel that your size helps you be more nimble as the market changes? 100%, because I think that, first off, I answer to myself, right? So I'm not calling off to Idaho or Omaha or wherever it might be. Uh, But I also, you know, we have this incredible roundtable. My mother and I run the company together. Um, You know, we don't make unilateral decisions. But I have this incredible management team of eight people. And I think that really does help set us apart. You know, I, I have the ability to have all the advertising and all the reach of an enormous firm, but I also have the ability to know everybody's name. I mean, for people who work here, when you get interviewed, my mother and I are always, the one of us is always the last step. My, I want to make sure, I don't have a private office, I sit with the agents or I sit on a separate floor at one of my offices, but I, I want my brokers to be 100% a part of every day here either their successes and their triumphs and their failures shape how this company moves. And I think that 
if we keep facilitating that as a family, we might be a, you know, we're a 300 some odd person family, but it's still a family atmosphere. And no matter how big we get, I want to make sure we retain that. Yeah, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. And I've always run my business exactly that way. Um, and I think you have to be in it to win it. It's sort of a tacky way to describe it. Um, but another question about business. In real estate, it seems that there are so many uh, leaders of real estate firms who are women. Why do you think that's so? That's so interesting. You know, it's funny. I was on a panel a couple of years ago, and I looked down the line, and it was all women. And I think that often when you think of the real estate industry as a whole in this country, you think of it as a very male-dominated field. But in reality, even on the commercial side, there are more and more women coming up. You know, for me, it's a funny question because I grew up in a household. My father um, my father was in the investment banking world, and he very much was supportive of my mother and really pushed her to go into real estate and open her own firm. Um, I think that... I think that if you probably look back in the last 30 years, a lot of opportunities have come up for women in real estate. I think that women are nurturers, they listen. Um, not that men can't do that, but they tend to, they have a very sort of mothering way of going about, uh, about their days. And I think that to be able to, I think when you sell an apartment, you have to work very hard at nurturing, at caring, and, but most especially at listening to people. And if you have those skills, you can be very successful at real estate. And I think that opportunities came up for great women um, in the industry, and um, you, they've just shown that they... I mean, I'm proud of every woman when I look around town, and I see how many women are standing up there. I mean, it really... It, I knew from a young age I nothing would ever hold me back, especially my gender. Um, and I think that we should be really proud of this industry, especially here. Once again, I agree. I mean, I went to Smith with the concept that I could was in a woman's environment and I could lead the world so I didn't need to uh, sit behind a man which I saw at a brown or other you know yeah I mean universities I, that were you know co-ed I mean I'm a product I went to the Chapin school for 13 years with in my I graduated with 30 of the most incredible women that I could imagine and I think one of the greatest lessons I learned from day one was to open my mouth and talk I mean, anyone who knows me knows that it's hard to get me to stop talking. But I was never afraid of either making a fool of myself, having a bad idea, a wrong idea. It was just good to have an idea. So I think that it's, I've been lucky to have those propel me along the way in life. So let's take a step in a different direction for a moment. I mean, I think that your philosophy and the way you run business and, and, and the belief of women in business is incredible. You definitely have to come to my next Ladies Who Launch lunch. Um, but what's your favorite thing about New York real estate? Uh, my favorite, well, there's so many, but probably, first of all, I just love architecture and I love apartments. So you know, the beauty about New York City, I'm exceptionally proud of being a native New Yorker on my father's side, I'm fifth generation, and I'm a New Yorker before I'm anything. Uh, but there's this, as much as, in, when you walk around New York, there's so many people and there's so much going on, but there are all these walls and you don't know what's behind them. There are all these hidden worlds and you can't gain access to them. But when you're in real estate, you get to see everything from a $100 million apartment on 57th Street to a $200,000 studio in Bushwick. And you get a glimpse into all these incredible little worlds in New York. And for me, God, I mean, I sort of feel like a real estate detective, like the Sherlock Holmes of New York. And to me, every day I see new stories, and I think that New York can be an incredibly tough place to live, right? 
you're sort of this fine line. Suzanne Vega once said it's like a knife that could go in either direction. And you have to find these moments of humanity and beauty. And if you don't have one every day, I think New York will actually crush you. But when you're in real estate, you get to have these moments and you walk in and you can be so awe-inspired behind the ugliest wall. Yet sometimes the prettiest walls have the most horrifying things behind it. So for me, that's my favorite thing. I get to, I get a little voyeuristic glimpse into different worlds every day. And I just, I love the fact that when I wake up, I never know what I'm going to see. I know, you're Dora the Explorer. I try. Um, so when you go look at apartments, when you go and you get to sneak into other people's lives, what features do you think are most important to you when you look at an apartment? Apartment. You know, I think for me, this is probably very different than what the actual buyer would say. When I walk into an apartment, or actually, unfortunately, into any space, I'm often in houses of worship, and I think, oh, this would be a very cool house, sort of Bob Vila-esque, I guess, from this old house, but... The minute I walk into a space, I instantly take it down to the studs and think to myself, is this space actually used correctly? But for me, the most important thing, I think, and what really, it probably is first off, just cleanliness. Because that first off gives me a really good impression of the space. But if I were to buy an apartment for myself, I actually don't need an enormous apartment. The most important thing to me is actually the light. I care about the space and the light. I don't care about the neighborhood as much, and I don't care about how many bedrooms it has. This is for my own personal needs. That's what I look at. But I want incredible light and views. And I'd rather live in a smaller place than have a bigger apartment that was dark. So that's sort of where I fall on the real estate spectrum. Is that what your buyers are looking for today? No. I think for a buyer, I mean, it's, it's different for everyone. I think when you're preparing your to put your house on the market, you really should declutter first to make sure the apartment is clean it looks open, it looks big, it's fresh. If you slap a new coat of paint up, I think is great. Uh, depersonalize it. Because buyers, they don't do this every day. They may be doctors, they may be DJs, I mean, it could be anything. So they don't have the vision. They need to be able to have a fresh palette. But I think for buyers, I, I think you know it's completely individual. If you look back 25, 30 years, you see a point where I need a two-bedroom apartment and it has to be either on the Upper West Side and it has to be this part of Lexington Avenue, this, et cetera. I see that less and less. Now in New York City, people are buying for the space. So they'll say, I want a fabulous penthouse. And it could be in Williamsburg or it could be on Fifth Avenue. Or we, I could live in, we just had a situation recently where someone was moving from a brownstone in Bed-Stuy to a co-op on Sutton Place. People are less neighborhood-specific, but more space-specific. I, I agree with you. So you and I both love exploring real estate and, and being able to take a glimpse into other people's lives. And we both watch a lot of real estate television. Um, and I watch tons of it with you. Which, yes. is your, which is your favorite show and why? Okay. So I think my new there's a new one I love, and that's A Tale of Two Cities. And to me, it's sort of just like a column in the New York Times. Um, which takes a budget and takes multiple cities. So I love seeing, you know, for half a million dollars, what you'll get in Waco, Texas, which also has another great show. Um, sure does. There. <laughs> um, Waco versus Charlotte, North Carolina. Hawaii versus Illinois. So for me, it's really fun to get the comparison. I know when I travel, no matter where I am in the world, I'm always looking at real estate. Just because I very want to be cognizant of value and what things are worth comparatively to New York. But weirdly enough, right now, I'm really into the tiny home show. I don't want a tiny home. I want a house that's not that's over 500 square feet. 
But I just think it's such an interesting concept, and I think it's interesting to think about the way people are trying to live with less. It's also interesting to look at it on a geopolitical side, post the recession and Occupy Wall Street, and all these different factors, which I don't think we're talking about. I think we're talking about it on a home level, but not why people are trying to do this and how the world's changing. So I secretly love seeing how people are trying to get a family of five into a, you know, a caravan. I couldn't do it. You know, more power to you if you can. But it's also fun to look at the creative uses of space out there. And, you know, I think it's very much taking the Scandinavian sort of furniture and architecture design into home building. So it's, it's like a boat. Yeah. I find it really interesting, but I don't want it. For me. <laughs> don't blame me. I think my favorite store right now is Love It or List It. Oh, I love that too. You know, it's amazing to see what if you put some money into your current home what you can create versus the same dollars going into buying a new home. And I'm always surprised because not everyone loves it. Some people list it and feel like they'll do better outside. And, and I find that to be super interesting. And what about reading? What is um, the last book that you've read? What is the last book that I read? That's a really good question because I actually feel like right now I haven't been reading a lot of books because we're in the middle of an election. So I'm very much reading um, magazines and newspapers every day. I'm sort of hooked um, on a myriad of, of, of publications from conservative to liberal. Um, the best books, I think I actually potentially gave them to you this year, but the best books I've read in the last year were um, called The Nep. They're about these little girls in Naples, um, My Brilliant Friend by Elena Ferrente. An there amazing were four book. four of them, and they were, I think, some of the best written books I've read. I also reread a book called Salt, which is a, the history of the world. It's really how this one commodity completely changed the way we travel, the way we sell things, the way armies are. It's a really incredible book. It was written about 20 years ago, and I would suggest it for everyone. So you touched on politics. Mm. What do you think Trump and Trump real estate is doing to New York City? Have his property's gone up in value? Have they gone down in value? I don't think so. I think that, first off, living in New York, and I'm, I don't mean this is actually a statement for or against, actually. Um, I think living in New York, we're very insular in some ways. We talk about politics all the time, but we're sort of a little bit separated from the rest of the country, right? We sort of, You know how New York's going to vote, usually. Um, things sort of stay the, the same. I don't think it's had that much effect. Uh, you know, I, I did hear one person saying they're selling because of it. It's been all over the news. It's an, a news person is selling their apartment in one of the Trump buildings. But I don't think it's had much of a factor, to be honest. Um, it's interesting. I'm surprised actually no one's written an article on that yet. Um, maybe you should. Maybe I should. You know, it's just interesting. I think the Trump buildings on Riverside Boulevard, I think they're fabulous apartments. It's a lifestyle you're buying into an entire community. It's sort of, in some ways, like Trump Village. Um, and, you know, I still see those selling at very, very good prices. And Trump Tower always is in demand for people who want to live. It's actually a great value comparatively um, to some of the new buildings going up on 57th if, you're, if you want to be in the resale arena. Um, so, no, it hasn't that I, that I can know. Do you think that the election will actually uh, make real estate move in one direction or another? I don't, actually. I mean, I think that it's so interesting. Historically, every election we have, every presidential election, we're always like, oh, this time, this is it. And you do actually usually sometimes see a little bit of a slowdown. I think it's a good excuse for people to 
not want to buy at the time. Oh, well, who'll be president? You know, the the world will crumble. Well, the world hasn't crumbled, and you know, people still have to live and buy live in New York City. Uh, people still need to rent in New York City. So I think that no matter what, there's always going to be a market for it. I think around the time of the election, people tend to slow down a little bit. Great. Uh, I have just one more question for you, and then unfortunately mm-hmm. we have to wrap it up because it's been amazing. That's sad. I know. Um, where do you think real estate in New York City is going to be in five years? And how do you think that the millennials are going to be involved in that? It's really interesting. You know, apparently millennials are all moving to the suburbs right now. Um, although all the millennials I know want to live in the city. So I think that might be in the rest of the country. In five years, I think, as always, New York is the most geographically confined city in the world. We have water on every side. Um, and I think the demand and the projected census numbers are very going to be very high. I think real estate is always going to be valuable in New York. We're running out of land to build on. Prices may go up a little, down a little, but there, no one's going to suddenly say, you know what, I'm done with New York. I'm moving to Peoria. That's the new greatest megalopolis. New York is the greatest city on earth, in my opinion. I've been lucky enough to travel everywhere. And... No other city is as welcoming as New York, and I think that will only continue to make New York a strong place to live as a family, as an individual, and as an own as an investor. Whoever it might be, New York's the greatest place on earth, and I will just continue to be as strong as it is today. Well, thank you, Elizabeth Ann. This has been a great conversation. You have to come back again soon. Thank you for um, having me. No, this was wonderful. Thank you. Mm-hmm.